Thanks to our worship team for faithfully leading us each week as we worship together. Uh, just incredible. And I love coming together with you guys to be able to worship, to be able to open up God's Word. And one of the things that I have loved is hearing Pastor Owen teach about holiness. Man. Uh, this morning, as we gather together here, we want to be obviously praying for Owen and uh, their church uh, that's going to be doing the revival. But as we pray for a revival for them, we need to be praying for a revival for us. Uh, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to read through this passage. Uh, there's a lot of information packed into these verses here. So we're going to unpack it a little bit uh, this morning, and uh, uh, you're going to have the opportunity. I've got a, one of our men coming up to share a testimony later in the sermon, and, and uh, I'm excited about what God's got for us this morning through His Word. So if you will, let's uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 4 through 12, and as I did that, I forgot Jeremiah had told me that uh, Elevate was happening today. Sorry, Courtney. All right, so Jeremiah came over and told me, I'm going to elevate today, and I forgot to announce it. So uh, anyways, if you uh, missed that, uh, feel free to, our kids, go next door to the choir room uh, for Elevate, and a great opportunity for our kids. Let's uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. God's Word says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves... Like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we open up your word and we see what Peter has written here, God, I pray that even in the context of who he's speaking to, I see so much that, uh, God, as we apply this to our own lives, in our own season of life, and, and where we are, and today as we come into this place, whatever is going on in our lives, God, I pray that we would just simply trust you. God, I pray that this morning you would speak to our hearts. We love you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I want to share with you uh, something uh, back in 2011. 
I opened up the Daily Oklahoman. Uh, it was a Sunday paper, and uh, a full-page color ad had this ad uh, in the Daily Oklahoman. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit of it. I, I wrote it down because you're not going to be able to see it from the screen there. But what this full-page ad says... It says, attention metro area parents looking for experienced five and six-year-old baseball players. You can't turn seven before May 1st, 2012. And then it says, looking for dedicated parents who want their son on the best of the best team. Don't settle for your son to be the only all-star on his team. This team will be first class on everything from uniforms to structure to coaches to traveling and style. And if you did that ad, um, sorry, but I'm going to pick on you today. <laughs> I laughed at this when I uh, saw this back in 2011. I thought, oh my goodness, this is what Little League Sports has come to. And, uh, and then uh, I got to be thinking about it. And well, recently I thought about this again, and I thought, you know, these kids will be hitting junior high now. Uh, and uh, in fact, if everything is true what this newspaper ad shows they're probably signing d1 contracts as seventh graders uh, and uh, doing that but i'm sure they can't uh, do that yet but uh, uh, things are happening uh, in that realm and what i find interesting about this whole newspaper ad is this simple statement looking for experienced five and six-year-old baseball players now, I can only imagine the dad standing around after they all gather together. You know, which one's your boy? Mine's the one with the beard over there because he's experienced. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. But uh, I, I, I just, uh, I'm, the fact that we would place this on children five and six years old, experienced. That word experienced. You know, we come to know Christ and we're trying to flesh this out. We're trying to live it out. And we feel this weight that we have to be experienced to know Christ, to trust Him, to follow Him on a daily basis. What does this look like for me, moment by moment in my life? What does this look like for me in different seasons of life? I remember at 16 years old, trusting Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And, and uh, uh, this last week, I had the opportunity to go to Kansas City with my brother to a conference. And we hadn't been together in a long time. And it was just good just to be with him and pray with him and talk about what uh, we're teaching and, and even going through what we were talking about today with First Peter chapter 2 and attending conferences and worshiping together and, and all of that and just uh, how fun it was just to be together with him. But one of the things that I did on the way back, I stopped in Tulsa and I stopped at the church that, uh, where I came to know the Lord. 16 years old, or 17 years old, I graduated the day I graduated high school. I get, turned in my graduation robe. We, we, they let us use them and used them every year. And I turned it in. I had my little truck packed, and I moved to Tulsa. I had $400 in my pocket, and I moved to Tulsa. And the whole reason that I moved to Tulsa was because of that church, because there were other believers there, people that I knew who knew Christ. I didn't know what it meant to live out my life as a follower of Christ. I don't know what it looks like. I didn't know what it looked like at 16 years old. I didn't know what it looked like at 17 years old. And I wanted to be in a place where I could learn that. And this morning, as we open up God's Word and we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to remind you of the importance of us gathering together 
to open up God's Word as we discover what it looks like for us to follow Christ. This very first verse, first few words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter writes, as you come to Him. Listen, we don't come to Him as experienced. We don't come to Him as experienced five and six-year-olds. We don't come to Him as experienced teenagers. We don't come to Him as experienced new believers. We come to Him and, and what I get from this verse, and what this verse implies as Peter's saying to this, to these uh, believers here, is, is not just as you come to Him in salvation, you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but as you come to Him, you continually come to Him. Uh, on a daily basis, moment by moment, what does that look like? What does that look like in different seasons of our lives? We have walked with you through some difficult days in your own lives. You've walked with us through difficult days in our lives. And, and, the, and the beauty of the body of Christ, being able to do that together, that Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us encourage one another and provoke one another into love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but encouraging each other until the day of Christ's return. Us being able to come to Him... And not only am I going to come to Him individually and what that looks like in my own personal worship and, and how I'm trying to figure out to do quiet times and what's the best way for me to do this. What's, what's, how am I going to be able to get the most from that? How am I coming to Him in my private worship? And by the way, I, I'm, I don't know if I've ever given a commercial for anything, but each week uh, we put out a, um, a, a commercialized commercial. Each week... Emmaus puts out a playlist for our worship songs for the week. Okay, I'm going to confess something here, all right? I just turned 50, and I'm figuring stuff out as we go along, okay? I found out that you can get on Spotify, and Emmaus OKC has this list of all these worship songs we sing together. Jaren's laughing at me because he's known this for probably seven years, and I just figured it out this week in the truck going to Kansas City. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my, this is awesome. And uh, I want to encourage you uh, to get on uh, and, uh, and find that list and, and us be singing these songs that we're singing during this 30 minutes together on Sunday mornings that we have the opportunity to do it corporately when we're not with each other uh, through the week. Uh, just a great resource, a great tool uh, to be able to do that. But as Peter writes this, as you come to him, and then he says, a living stone rejected by men. You come to him who is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, and Peter introduces us to uh, this, uh, this phrase here in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 and verse 6. I'm sorry, let me read down through verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here he is in verse 4. We are going to him who's a living stone who's been rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. God has chosen Jesus, and there are those who have rejected him. And this morning, you may be here, and you've rejected Christ. This it just doesn't match up with what you think, what you feel, and, and all of that. And I, I want to encourage you to continue to dig into God's Word and see who he is. But it says there, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. 
We come to a living stone. Listen, the gospel is not uh, that uh, Jesus was sent down from heaven and that he went to the cross and he died on the cross. That's not the gospel story. The gospel story is that Jesus, God sent his son into the world and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross. But what did he do? He was buried for three days and he rose again. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a living stone. And he says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You as a church have been uh, giving, and one of the things that we're doing is uh, we're having the opportunity of helping to build one of the homes for uh, a WizKids family. And uh, the family uh, that's going to be living there, uh, uh, the dad is a bricklayer by trade. And uh, this week he started laying brick on the house. Uh, He and uh, Marcella, his wife, they were out there putting the brick on their own home. And uh, uh, it, it was so cool to be able to see. It's all nice and uniform and uh, looks really pretty. Uh, we're not bricks. We're not uniform. We don't look alike. And it says we're coming to him, a living stone, as living stones. You and I, we're so different. And that's the beauty that we be, we're able to celebrate of who, how we are different and, and who we are in Christ and what that, that common bond brings us together. You yourselves like living stones. Stones are going to be in, different, come in all forms of uh, different sizes and shapes. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Uh, we went to uh, uh, Panama this summer and I have never worked with stone And uh, one day they hand us a hammer and a chisel and said, go at it. For the next several hours, you're going to be chiseling rock. I'd never done that. I thought, okay. My hands swelled, and I've never, it was was horrible. I went all Shawshank Redemption on this wall. And uh, and by the way, I could get Pastor Owen out a lot faster than I could get out, myself out. that hole did not go very big very fast. So I could get him out pretty quick. It'd take me a couple of weeks uh, to get out. And, uh, uh, but as we worked with that stone, it was just, it was different. There was no, it wasn't uniform. There was no way to do it. And of course, you know, uh, Bill Pickle, who does a lot of work, construction work, and uh, said, uh, you know, I've got tools that could do this really quick. And I'm like, I oh, know, I'm not thinking about that. And, uh, uh, but as we think about this, we are like living stones. We're we're being chiseled, we're being worked, in, and we're being worked in to fit into a place, and God is, is at work in your heart and in your life. And I want to encourage each of us that we go to Him on a daily basis. For some reason, we may have in, in our minds and in our hearts the idea that the only time I came to Christ was, was, was when I, at the point of salvation, maybe I was eight years old and I trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, that's when I came to Him. I want to encourage you. We've come to Him for salvation, but I want to encourage you, just as Peter says here in this fourth verse, as you come to Him, that we come to Him on a daily basis and God is at work in our hearts and He's chiseling out our hearts and our, our lives to, to be able to work in in. in in our seasons of life and what's happening and what's going on in our lives. And he says, to be a holy priesthood, there is no more uh, priest between us and the Father. 
There's no more Old Testament priests. It is us. We are a holy priesthood, understanding who we are in Christ. We are a holy priesthood. We have direct access to the Heavenly Father, to that living stone who's at work, who wants to continue to be at work in our lives. We have direct access to Him to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. What does that look like? Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And, and uh, I think I just messed up to combine 2 Timothy 3.16 and Romans 12.2. So we'll, we're going to move on there. And uh, uh, see, he's at work in my life as I hear, read that out, said that out. And, and to offer up these spiritual sacrifices, what does that look like for us? So we, we come in here on a weekly basis and we gather together as the church to worship. What are these spiritual sacrifices? First of all, it's just us submitting ourselves to Him on a daily basis. God, I, am, I want to be completely Yours. And you know what? You and I are trying to figure that out on a daily basis. We're trying to figure out what that looks like in the season of, uh, for Brooke and I, kids becoming young adults and uh, our youngest getting his driver's license and we're in that season and then I we got to go to the ballpark this morning and have chapel out at the ballpark and and uh, 30 kids come or about, about 30 people came but about uh, uh, 15 16 kids a baseball team comes running over to to attend the chapel service and I could see the parents dragging everything behind them and they're in that season that busy season and then I stopped and visited with my stepdad, who's 96 years old, and he sits next to me and he says, uh, Jim, I'd, I'd really like to, to do some work, and so if you hear some, of some work, let me know. I, I've shared that story with you again. I'm telling you, every time I see him, see, he says that. And so whatever season of life you're in, God is, is wanting to be at work in our hearts, in our minds, and He's shaping us and He's forming us. And those spiritual sacrifices is that we're giving ourselves completely to Him, our bodies, our worship. What does that look like for our worship? I want to encourage us. Uh, it seems to me that the, the quickest thing that we can always complain about in the church is worship. And one of the sweetest things that I had the opportunity to do this week was to visit with the pastor there at Memorial Baptist Church in Tulsa and just tell him, man, I'm praying for you. And, uh, and he talked about, you know, just uh, uh, worship and, and uh, some of the challenges that they have, that any church has and that we've had. And we talk about it. What does this worship look like? Guess what? I'm thankful for David. I'm thankful for our worship team. And I'm most thankful for their heart and their relationship with Christ and how they lead us to the, the Father and to the throne of, of God. And Peter introduces us to uh, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 here. In verse 6, he says, For it stands in Scripture, and he, and he begins to, uh, to talk to them about uh, and pulling in from the Old Testament, and he says, Behold, I'm laying in, a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This verse is an important statement about who Christ is. It promised that when Christ came, he would be the cornerstone of God's new spiritual house, the church, which is made up of, of believers. 
And, and Peter, who he's speaking to, these, these people that he's speaking to, they understood, they remembered that during the building of Solomon's temple, the workers prepared the stones in advance, and they brought them to the site. And with the help of, of, of the blueprint of the temple, uh, the craftsmen would cut and shape each stone to its perfect size and determine the exact place that it would fit. And with only minor adjustments on site, they would be able to take those temple stones and they would set them precisely in the parts uh, that they... Uh, uh, determined were, were best as a large puzzle. God chose Christ as the foundation on which to build this spiritual temple, his church. And you and I are living stones of that. And so as, I, as Peter uh, shares from Isaiah twenty eight sixteen, he says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. It is precious to our Heavenly Father, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If we trust Christ, we're not going to be disappointed. If we trust Christ, we're not going to be disappointed. And if, we, uh, and if we're not trusting Him, and if we're not placing our faith in Him, and we're, we're moving on down the road, we're kicking that can down the road, and whatever it may be, and we're thinking, you know, later I'm going to do this, I want to, I want to encourage you today to make your, your life available to Christ, to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Verse 7, Peter goes on, he, say, he says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, and he quotes another passage, this time from Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And in verse 8, he continues on, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And Peter says, They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Not believing in Jesus is rejecting the stone because he, and, and the reason that they were rejecting him was because he did not fit their preconceived ideas of what the Messiah needed to be. That was in the, in, in, uh, when Jesus was walking the face of the earth and among these Jewish believers. And I want to, I want to say this today that I firmly believe that there are people who are choosing not to choose Christ, to trust him as Lord and Savior, because of preconceived ideas of what they think that the Messiah should be. And here in 2018, there are all of these ideas about who Jesus should be. And the only way that we get who Jesus should be is from His Word, God's Holy Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 does say, For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, correction and instruction in righteousness. And then he quotes this, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. He's quoting Isaiah again, chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. The Jews chose to throw away that cornerstone. They ended up falling over uh, that cornerstone in judgment. That same rock, verse 8, makes it very clear that those who reject Christ stumble and suffer divine judgment because they are disobedient to the word. So in his life, Jesus fulfilled the law. He accomplished all righteousness on behalf of sinners who have broken God's law at every point. Jesus, in his death, he died for our sins, satisfying the wrath of God and obtaining forgiveness for all who believe. Jesus, in his resurrection, conquered sin and death and guaranteed our victory over the same sin and death in and through him. Jesus is our greatest hope. He is that living stone. He is the cornerstone. We are living stones. We're trusting in him. And then in verse 9, I want to move on here. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who are you in Christ? I say this so much, I I told you that I talked to myself uh, in the car, uh, probably more places, but in the car. I've left my son at about five or six, or fifth or sixth grade at 7-Eleven as I drove by and realized, oh, there's Jackson, uh, because I'm in busy having a conversation with myself. And one of the things that I think of is I feel like I'm constantly reminding myself of what Scripture is teaching, and it's not because I know it all, it's because I need it all. It's because I need Christ in my life. I need Him on a daily basis, moment by moment, in those decisions that you and I come up against. I want to trust Him and Him alone. And so we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We have direct access to our Heavenly Father. There's no in-between. We have that opportunity to go to Him. We are a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called. I, I, I want to move on. Verse 10 It says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The privileges that we see here in this passage that we are able to have as believers by placing our faith in Him, by trusting Him on a daily basis, by going to Him moment by moment for our every need. Jesus is everything. He is the cornerstone. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received it. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Church family, we need to hear that. We need to be reading that. We need to be applying that. We need to be obedient to that. Urging us as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh. Some of your Bibles may say aliens. Had a foreign exchange student from Brazil that lived right up here off of 134th, and this was probably 20 years ago. And the family called me over and said, Jim, we really want you to come and visit with her. And I said, okay. And um, they said, she's got a really important question. And I said, okay. So I came over, and, and uh, she said, in front of the whole family sitting there, do you believe in aliens? I said, yes. The family all of a sudden like, what in the world, Jim? Why, do you, why would you tell her you believe in aliens? Because in Scripture it says that we are aliens. We are sojourners. We are exiles in this world. We're not meant for this world. Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly, that we would be able to spend eternity with Him. We are going to be able to be in the Heavenly Father's presence. We are exiles. We are aliens in this world. This world is not ours what Christ has for us is what He desires for us. And, and in verse 11, when He says that, I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Man, can we all relate to that? I laugh and think that um, how many times I've thought as I get older, oh, I can't wait till I'm not dealing with that anymore. And we continue to deal with sin issues and we continue to uh, turn them over to the Lord and it's simply I'm trusting you God I want to make right decisions I want to make right choices I want to have right thoughts I want to be able to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul they we are at war we're in spiritual warfare 
I don't think that we can walk in this journey of life as a follower of Christ, going to Him moment by moment, and think that we're not going to experience some, some type of spiritual attack. I think that we are in spiritual warfare. Scripture tells us that. We are in spiritual warfare. So church family, what are we doing to prepare for war? What are we doing to prepare for that warfare? Several of our members have, have gone out. In fact, uh, I know one of our men has just gotten back from serving overseas. And, and to think about uh, uh, being at war and, and what a soldier uh, requires to be able to go into war, the, the uniform, the gear, they're not walking into enemy territory unprepared. Church family, we need to be prepared as we go moment by moment in this spiritual warfare that we are in called life and, uh, and wage, war, uh, uh, wage war against those things that are coming at us, coming at us against our soul. And he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. So who are we in Christ? Who is the church? I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to a very familiar passage to Matthew 28. In fact, as you do that, I'm going to go ahead and have you turn to Matthew 22 first. There are two passages in Scripture here that I believe that uh, the church gets confused. So part of what Peter's sharing here he's wanting them to know who christ is he's wanting them to know who they are in christ but also who is the church and when we look at these two passages in matthew these are two passages that i think the church in general gets confused uh, one is the great uh, commandment and one is the great commission and the great commandment we find in matthew 22 verses 37 through 40 <clears throat> and uh I'm going to just read. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So there's the great commandment. Then turn over to the great commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And I want to remind us of something here as, as the church. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Getting these two confused, the Great Commission is what? The Great Commission is to make disciples. And one of the things that we confuse is making disciples and uh, uh, fulfilling the Great Commandment. We are to make disciples, but how do we do that? In fact, I want to encourage you to do something, and I heard this this week, so this is me cheating. This is something I heard and being reminded of, and I want to share with you as a church family. Look back up at verse 16 of Matthew 28. We look at the Great Commission, the task of making disciples. That's what our role is as the church, but I, want, I was reminded of this week, and I want to remind you of this this week. In Matthew 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
What's, what does verse 16 and 17 say? Reminders, not only is there the Great Commission for us to make disciples, but remind us, remember this, we are first disciples. You and I are called into that relationship with Christ, and we are disciples trying to make disciples, and, and our goal isn't just to make disciples. We are disciples. We're continuing on. We continue on that verse 4, as you come to me, as you go to him, that we're, that we're going to him on a moment-by-moment continual basis. So we're disciples that are to make disciples. And what is it that, uh, how do I live this out as the church? Because the mission of the church is to make disciples, and as disciples, we love and serve those around us. We use the Great Commission. The Great Commission is uh, our calling to go and make disciples, but as disciples, we're to do what? We are to love and serve those around us. So how do we live this out? And, and, and here's where I want to take the rest of our time together. Church family, we see in this passage uh, who Christ is. We see in this passage who we are in Christ. We see in this passage who the church is. But we can talk about those all day long. How do we live those out when we walk outside of these doors here as a church family? How do we live that out? And how is it that we make disciples, yet we love God and neighbor, and we do good to those regardless of their faith or their morality or anything about them? We're not going and making disciples with people who look and act like us. We're called to go and tell others and to make disciples of a lost and dying world all outside of these doors and all outside of these doors. I don't have to go very far to see the diversity that I don't see represented at Emmaus. I don't have to go very far into our neighborhood to see that. There are, uh, in the 2010 uh, statistical survey uh, for our county um there's a word there and every one of you are telling me what it is thank you <laughs> the census and there's a hundred and, and in 2010 there were 140,000 people that were unchurched unclaimed they did not say they went to a church or a faith group of any kind in cleveland county and think about this our auditorium seats 1100 people now there's not been a whole lot of times that we've had 1,100 people in this auditorium. But if we're going to reach 140,000 people in our county, in Cleveland County, how many times are we going to have to open up the doors for them to be able to come in here to fill this place up? I think I counted around 135 times, and some of you are better in math than me, and so you're going to do a lot better than that. But it's going to take a lot of times for us to be able to open these doors for be able to people to be able to come and hear the gospel. That's not what we are called to do. We are called to go and make disciples. We are called to go and tell others about who Christ is. Church family, uh, uh, I want to encourage us, and, and, and I'm on this journey with you. I feel like I've, I mean, I, I've, I've been here 17 years, and my track record isn't any better than yours. Who are we telling about Christ? Who are we sharing the gospel? Who are we making disciples of? Well, I want to invite Carl Dean up here, and Carl is going to share a testimony. Carl shared this with me, and um, I wanted him to share this with you today. Carl's one of our members here, and uh, just sharing about an instance of down here in Norman. 
Go ahead, Carl. So a few months ago, my oldest boy and I went to, uh, to watch a movie. And when the movie was over, it was dinner time. So we decided uh, we'd just kind of skip across the parking lot and go eat over at Rib Crib. We walked in and uh, we sat down, we were seated, asked our drink order and waiter left and he came back and he asked if he could take our food order. And I asked him if he had any recommendations. And he says, well, as a matter of fact, I do and thank you for asking. He says, for you, I recommend this. And he lays it out and he says, and for the young man, I recommend this. And I said, what do you think, bub? He says, yeah, sounds pretty good, let's do that. So I said, yeah, bring it just like you said. He said, really? You like my recommendations? And I thought to myself, I don't know why, but I thought to myself words of affirmation, just that quick. I said, yes, sir, we like your recommendation. Please bring it just as you said. And he says, okay, gentlemen, I'll be back in a little bit. So he left, and he was gone for quite a while. Um, I'm not sure what happened. But he came back and he's like, uh, you know, we just had a huge order come through. And when it is finished, I promise we'll get your order filled next. And uh, he says, but since it's taken so long, he said, uh, how about you pick that dessert menu up and you uh, pick the desserts, it'll be on the house. My boy's eyes lit up real big and he says, okay, we can do that. So he leaves and uh, he's not gone very long. And he comes back with our food. And uh, when he sets our food down, I said, uh, sir, we're about to pray over this meal. Is there anything that we can pray for you for? And he kind of stepped back a little bit and he says, my God, yes. But it would be silly for me to say it out loud. He says, so I'm going to go write it down and I'll bring it back. I said, okay. So about five minutes goes by. We haven't eaten anything. Food's sitting in front of us. And uh, I said to my son, I said, can you see him anywhere? Because I'm facing the door. He says, oh, yeah, I see him. He's over there writing. I said, okay, let's pray. So we prayed over the food. And he came up, and he had this full sheet of paper, and he had it folded in half. And he says, sir, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He says, are you really going to pray over this? Because I have people come in here and they say that they're going to pray for it. And I don't think they ever really pray for it. Are you really going to pray for this? I said, I'm going to pray for it tonight with my wife. I'm going to pray tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock with a friend of mine. I'm going to pray Tuesday morning with a bunch of friends of mine. I'm going to pray Wednesday morning. Those days and those times, your name will be before my Father in heaven. He says, okay. So he takes this piece of paper and he sets it down and he says, do me a favor and please don't read this until you leave. I said, okay, fair enough. So he comes back a little bit later and he, uh, he says, what desserts did y'all pick? And uh, I didn't want anything, but uh, my little man here, he, he picked a dessert. So after we ate the dessert, I got my gift card out, and I got my debit card out, and I just set them on the table just like this, waiting for my bill. And he brings me the little envelope back, and he sets it down, and he all but runs off. And so I'm thinking to myself, great, what am I going to do now? 
So I open up this envelope. I'd like to read to you what he said. He says, no bill. Thank you, sir, for your kindness and consideration of me just as a fellow human being. The best of health, wealth, love, and happiness. Good night, gentlemen. So I didn't quite know how to take this. I'm not real good at receiving things, especially things like that. So I sit there, and uh, I'm really wanting to, you know, leave all the money I have in my wallet. The problem is I don't carry money in my wallet. <laughs> so um, I prayed about it, and I prayed for him, and we went ahead and took his uh, gracious gift, and we left. And... Uh, I got out to the car, like he had something to say, right? This letter tells me that he is Eritrean African and that he's been here since he was 14 years old and that he has been poor his entire life. He said, nobody respects a poor man. He said, there's not many Negroes here in Norman, Oklahoma, where he attends school. And he also says that he's been looked at as subhuman, treated as, well, a number of things. But you know what? That really, that really didn't bother him how he was treated. What he asked me to do was to pray that God would relieve him of his poverty. He said, I've hid it for most of my life, but I'm to the point now that I can't hide it. Will you please pray that God will relieve me of my poverty. His name is Tyree. Anytime you think of him, please pray for me. Thanks, Carl. Church family, the reason I wanted Carl to share that is because when he shared this with me, Tyree had writ, written in that letter that he felt subhuman. Church family, we're walking among people every day that desperately need to see Jesus. They need to know Jesus. And you and I are living stones, a reflection of the living stone. And we have the opportunities to to give them life through Christ. We have the opportunity to be able to take and share with them who Christ is. I've never heard the term subhuman. Anybody referring to themselves that way. And this is in our community. Church family, our invitation today is simply this. We are called to make disciples as disciples, and we're to fulfill the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You and I have the opportunity to be able to leave these doors and be living stones among a lost and dying world. What does that look like? Not every one of us are going to do it exactly like what Carl Dean did. You and I have different gifts. Remember, we're stones. We're not bricks. We're not all alike. We're living stones. And God is shaping us, and He's forming us, and He's given us different different backgrounds. He's given us different hurts. He's given us all of these things that we've gone through have shaped and formed us in who we are as a believer in Christ. And it's going to look different for every one of us as we go out and we make Him known. 
My prayer is simply this, that you and I would be, make ourselves available, we would be obedient, and we would just simply trust Him. We would take a step of faith, and we would just follow Him moment by moment and make Him known. Let's pray. I want to just encourage you uh, this morning with your head bowed and eyes closed that uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're really wrestling with who Christ is. I want you to know you're in a safe place to be able to ask any question. We want to be able to walk beside you in that as you discover who He is and, and be able to help you in that. And so I just want you to know that not only am I available, our staff is available, but there are people all around this room that are available. We want to make ourselves available to you. We want you to know Christ. We're praying for you. We're praying for uh, our lost and dying world around us to know Christ. And this morning, maybe uh, God has laid somebody on your heart. I'm going to just ask that this time we, we just go before the Father. We, number one, lay ourselves out before Him and say, God, help me to be a living stone. Help me to be a disciple, making disciples, loving God with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and loving my neighbor as myself. God, help me to be obedient in that. God, I pray that would be our first prayer. I pray that next prayer would be for those around us that we know that we've never had a conversation with about their relationship with Christ. And I pray that you would give us the words and the boldness to be able to do it this week. This time is his. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And I thank you for how you move in mighty ways. I thank you for your spoken word, your written word long ago that still applies to our hearts today. That we can flesh this out. We can live this out. We can see what it looks like in our daily lives. I pray that you would help us to be who you've called us to be as believers. We would understand the hope that we have, the joy that we have, the living stone that we worship. God, I, I pray that you would be with those this morning that don't know you, that are wrestling with that. And uh, God, that they would uh, uh, come to know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that uh, you would be with us, that we would be faithful and obedient to tell others about you. We love you. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. And uh, just want you to know this altar's open. And... Uh, and right there where you're seated, let's worship.